today we have a very special guest. His name is Konishki, the legendary, the living legend. And What's up? Yeah, today we're just gonna get to pick his mind. Cheryl man, Cheryl man. <laughs> I appreciate your time, Konishki. I know you're a busy dude, and yeah. Sorry for um, if everybody know how long we've been trying to get me to do that. <laughs> nah, don't even be sorry. Picky, bro. We're taking an hour trying to just the whole, I, and then you had to start early because it's freaky. But you start early, you're gonna get lost, man. <laughs> yeah, we got lost. I told you, sixty years old, brother. I'm not wrong generation. That's why. Nah, nah. <laughs> well, the first question I usually like to ask all my guests. Um, yeah. So, where are you from, and how was it for you growing up? Well, originally I'm from Nanakuli. I was born and raised in Hawaii. Um, just turning 60 now. Uh, my whole school years, my elementary went to Nanai Kapono. I went to Nanakuli Intermediate. One year in Nanakuli High, then I got transferred. I got I transferred to the University Laboratory School, which is down at across UH campus, and that's where I spent the rest of my uh, high school years. Graduated from uh, the lab school, and a month later. Month later, I came to Japan and and I've been here ever since, forty three years now in in Japan, after my sumo career and stuff. So, everything in between. So, born and raised, and uh, only eighteen years of my life I lived in Hawaii. Everything else is I've been here. Oh, okay, that's super interesting. So, you mentioned you live most of your life in Japan, like. So growing up in Hawaii, like how did you even find sumo, or did sumo like find you? Yeah, it's actually sumo found me, you know. And it's funny because um, I was cutting out of class when that happened. <laughs> yep. Do you wanna do you wanna go into that story? <laughs> well, I was actually um, it was almost the last. I think it was the last couple of weeks of my high school year. And uh, we went um, down by walls in, in like, you know, down by Alabama, the wall. And then we used to like go surfing and body surfing and boogie boarding. And and we didn't go to class, we just went to school. I used to drive my dad's Nova. My dad had a red Nova, two door Nova. Sick. Port Nova. And the funny thing about it is because I drove all my high school years with no license, right? <laughs> so. Every time we go, every time I go to school, by the time I get to school, no more money for boot, for boot gas. So I tell my friends, brother, we'll use my car. And they go, yeah, go, yeah, thank let, let, let me check out for your lunch. Because we were allowed to go off campus, high school students. Oh, okay. Eat, right? So I used to give my, let my friends use the car and they used to put gas. Bro, don't forget to put gas, huh? They look in the car, no more than gas. So at lunchtime, we used to go. So the last couple weeks of my high school year, so, bro, I don't need to go class. We're going to get our credit. What for a good class? So, I used to go school in the morning. They used to pack my car. I used to go down all the water. I mean, I mean, go Waikiki, go to the beach. And that's when a guy named uh, Curtis the Buyao Kia, he's a legend. You might be too young, but maybe you, your dad or your, your grandpa or your older people would know because he was one of those, you know, like WWF now, like how you have the rock and all those guys. Yeah. One of the most famous wrestlers those days was a guy like King Curtis. King Curtis Yokeo. He used to have a boogie board place um, down in down by the wall. And he traveled the world at the time. And he's the one that actually uh, pulled me on the side. He said, Young man, you should be a sumotori. 
And I thought, Uncle Brian, I don't know anything about sumo, but he's the one that actually started talking to me because we, we went constantly for a whole week, not even going to class. We just went speech every day, and that's where it kind of uh, we talked a lot. And and I just I just thought I was curious about how do how how do I go about going and what I need to what I need to have to go and. I tell them, as long as they pay for everything, I go. I don't care. <laughs> I like bread like in my family. That's, now, you know, I'm the, I'm the youngest boy in my family. I have a sister younger than me, but everybody else left to go to the mainland to go to school. Or, um, some went to the military, but most of my siblings, they went to uh, the mainland to go to school. And I kind of saw the struggle my parents had to go through to help them go through schools and stuff. And uh, when the opportunity came to come to Japan, I told him, as long as I don't burden my family, mm. he told me it's free and I'm gone. And they told me, yeah, well, free, you go there, you're going to live with the sumo stick, which I didn't understand. All I know is the word free. I heard the word free and I'm gone. <laughs> and then, like, from from the time I met them, I met them in May, and I was gone a month later. I, I came to Japan a month later. I graduated, like, towards the end of May, and I left Hawaii, like, two a little over two weeks later. To come to Japan. Oh, so you basically like, blind. Your, yeah, your whole adult life like thrown into that. That's so so like it must have been difficult transitioning cultures. Like, could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, it's a huge difference. You know, I come from a background which is Samoan culture, but Japanese culture and the sumo culture is two different, two different worlds. And and the the sumo culture is more like my Samoan culture where you have your mom, your dad, the boss, you know, like elders and stuff. And so the sumo world is kind of similar, but it's all guys. You come in this uh, sumo stable, we call it sumo stables. And you got guys from all over Japan, all over Japan coming and joining sumo and, and you live and you board at this one place where we, that's all life. And once you join into sumo, it's like 24 seven, 365 days of your life committed to sumo. There's nothing else you can do uh, outside of sumo. So it's everyday training and it's just head body. And then, you know, it's just fighting for, fighting for their 60 slots, the top positions. There's only 60 slots that, when my was there was 80, 850 of us. Out of 850, only 60 guys can make it, meaning 60 is the only ones that get, get paid to do to get paid to be in the top ranks, you know, it's like any other thing. If you if you're on a tour and on the tour, a surfing tour, golf tour, no matter, only the top guys get paid. Everybody else they gotta pay for getting a tournament. Hopefully they win the tournament so they can get ranked so they can get paid. But sumo, only sixty people get paid. Everybody else just get allowance every two months. And I was in one of the schools that was uh, at the time one of the forty something schools that I joined and. And when I joined, I, I kind of joined blind, not knowing anything about what I was getting myself into. I think was the I think the best advice I had was not not knowing anything mm. going into school because uh, there, there wasn't no distraction. It's really how much you can accept and how much you can open up and say just do what they tell you to do and and take it from there kind of you know, kind of attitude. I think it was I think the right attitude that I I think I think I had when I started. So. That kind of helped me to, uh, yeah, it's difficult because it's different language. Even a sumo, sumo has its own language. Oh, okay. You know, it, even the Japanese language, we know we have languages that we speak, 
that even a regular Japanese wouldn't know what we speak. Mm, kind of like a code. And, yeah, kind of like a code, but like a slang, like a, oh, uh, like okay. a local, you know, like Balala slang that we use that Malay wouldn't know. Yeah. But it's almost like the same thing. And not only that, we live under really strict rules in how we're supposed to carry ourselves in public. Mm. Um, strict rules when we get what time we can what time we have to be at home very very strict like military like i see stuff. so others that that culture was a was a well the difficult the most difficult thing is not knowing to speak japanese you know i was lost you know you never know what people was talking shit about you and, <laughs> but you kind of feel it because you like stay laughing at you at the first couple years you can you look by and they're like smiling and laughing they're probably talking shit about you and when you like anything else, you know, it, it, it comes with the territory. And um and the only way to get out of it is to win win and uh work up the work up the um, ranks and gain you know, their respect, up, yeah. That's how it is. In, in anything in life, um, you have to gain respect one way or another. And people once you once you do that, whoever's around you, the peers your peers will see that and they're gonna have to change their ways towards you. At the beginning, you're just another brah. Go do this, go do that. But when she start kicking your asses, yeah, yeah. Well, my thing was like, as long as I get to go to practice, you know, no matter how how they treat me outside of practice, you know, they have the they have the authority to do that. Yeah. But when it comes to practice, you know, within the rules, I can kill you. <laughs> that, no, but that's the way I looked at it. Yeah, you know, yeah. You can pick on me all you like, but when it comes to practice, I get to kill you legally <laughs> and that's and you know it's i hate to say it but that's that's what kind of motivated me because um when i when i started at the beginning there's a lot of a few a-holes that was like treating me bad you know which is all good you know you know and i just understood that i had to take it i couldn't fight back or anything but you know my battlefield was my practice area and, and that's what made me i look forward every single day i was like so hot up i wanted to fight I wanted to fight, but I knew I couldn't fight. But I could, I could practice, you know, and yeah. I could kick ass because <laughs> it's all one on one. Sumo is one on one. It's a contact sport, you know. It's 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 martial arts, you know. Yeah. So all the guys were treating me bad. Once once after six months went by, they all knew already. This freaking guy, he's coming for us. Yeah, that's why <laughs> they all started being nice to me after you know during a regular day like took them about almost over a half a year for all these older guys the senior the senior guys uh, who treat me. i see they, so, you know like, they like gotta, you say, um, yeah gain respect yeah 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 so like what was the most difficult part that you was it kind of like hazing then i guess it's what it's like hazing the, the whole thing is like hazing so much so strict because it's all guys bro yeah. You have your you have your nice guys, you have the guys that are assholes who, who can't do nothing, but because everything is seniority, they have the authority to, to do shit to you. Yeah. You cannot do nothing back, you know? Like I I have a book coming out hopefully by next year. I've been trying to write the right words in the book and uh, but I, I, I said something about bro, my first money to sumo, this guy he whacked me with a he whacked me with a freaking beer bottle over my head, and and I and all I have to say is thank you for hitting me, because you can't do nothing back. But the next day in practice, I put him in. I put him. I hurt him so bad we had to take him to the hospital. Oh. Yeah, 
Ambulance job, bro. Ambulance job. Don't fool around with the local boy because I know how to hurt you ten thousand <laughs> ways without without looking like I hurt you. Yeah. you know? So can you can you kind of like um explain like the mo'olelo behind sumo and like how matches and are conducted and stuff like a little bit about like the history and I guess the rules and regulations. The rules itself, sumo has been around for thousands of years. Yeah, and like I've been doing these tours all over all over the U.S. Um, actually going again back in the West Coast this November, and I explain because sumo is like a. It's like mixed martial art. What you see at UFC today is what someone has been doing all this time. And because it's so old, thousands of years, the samurais are, are, are like trained to, it wasn't the word sumo, but the samurais, they all, they all learned the different martial arts, mm. the karate, the judo, aikido, you know, it's, it's and boxing and all that stuff. They all learned this stuff to protect the emperor. So it, it, the background comes from that. It was more like an entertaining thing for the emperors at all the temples okay. before it came, what do you have today, what you call sumo. And the object of the game is very easy. You know, it's two big guys. You're in a ring that it's 5.5 meters round. And the object of the game is push your opponent outside of the ring, or you can throw him into the ring. Any Anything but the bottom of your feet touches the floor of the sumo ring, you, you lose the match. And the thing is, the other thing about, the unique thing about sumo, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta notice that when you go to UFC or you go to boxing, whatever whatever contact sport, they all have weight classes. Yeah. Sumo, sumo is the only way we don't have weight classes. And the reason for that is because the majority, the majority of the techniques that they have, somebody like me, I'm Paul. I use my power. I use my weight. I use my strength. And I only have certain techniques that I can do anyway because of the way my body is structured. But a smaller guy like you would like no freaking all the tricks. Take advantage of, you know, and yeah, because people, and, and, and then when I explain that, I don't believe, but if you go back and look at the history of sumo, some of the greatest grand champions are small guys oh. because they know how to use the 84 different techniques that we have. People don't know we can kick, you know, they know how to break your hand, they know how to break your elbow, they know how to break your wrist, <laughs> you know, little like that, the little stuff that you don't see because the motion is so fast, the movement is so fast. And it's a mixture of timing, um, leverage, and you know taking advantage of your your bigger opponent's weight. You know they make like you, they kind of bait you and they trick you and trick you and all that stuff. So it's a very unique thing. When people fall in love with sumo, they, they cannot get away from it because they see that. Yeah. It's something that you can't find in all the other sports because everybody else, you got to be a certain way. I, I've been wrestling guys. Yeah, my career was four times smaller than I am. And I hated that because they're so tricky. Tricky and quick, you know? And they're not only quick, but once they get under you, no matter how big you are, it's like a tree. Once a tree stands up straight, it's easy to fall. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the trick. And you know, and there's many ways to work, and that's what makes it so fun for for, for sumo fan to, to see that um, and to cheer for smaller guys. It's it's huge. You cannot find that in any other sport. Yeah, that that's honestly true. Now that you say it, like I oh, never, I never really thought of it that way. Like because a lot of people think once they think of sumo stereotype, they think yeah. just big guys. Yeah. But if you go look, if you watch closely, the majority of the guys are, are smaller, and they're very physique. And a lot of these guys can be hundred what, two hundred, two hundred forty pounds. Fifty. They can do backflips, bro. <laughs> we all can do the splits. Everybody has to do the splits in sumo for flexibility. Oh. 
and you know, and I've I've hosted NFL players. I've hosted Steph, Stephen Curry, um, Holloway, all these UFC guys, Mark Hunt, Sefo, all these fighters to sumo practice, and they like freak out because the body is trained. We need to have all the meat because it's the contact we do. And the other thing people don't understand, it's a year a year round sport. We yeah. don't have breaks. No seasons, uh. Yeah, it's it's six major tournaments a year, and your body takes a toll. I get all broken finger. My right hand, all my fingers are broken. My shoulder here, no, that thing don't even go up anymore. And you know, and the hard thing about it, you have to fight with the pain. You have to fight with the injuries. Or you, once you stop, you lose everything. You lose your pay. You lose your freaking rank. And you just another big guy getting ready to get thrown to the ocean, thrown to the road. Your time is done, and you, and it's emotionally and physically, you have to be super strong. You have to. You have to overcome so much, and that's what makes um, sumo tori so unique. Because we don't get millions and millions of how NFL and NBA guys get freaking like what baseball players like get five years, sixty million dollar contract. We don't have that shit. We only get paid for each tournament. The tournament that you win, that's all you're getting paid. But again, why do you do it? Well, once you get to a certain point, for us, for me. So much pride and so much in you because I was only one of the guys that made it, like kind of thing. Because not everybody can make it, and we know that. We see guys that, to be honest with you, less only less than ten percent make it. Oof. And then within that ten percent, that gets up to the sixty slots on the top. Less than probably six percent would last. Yeah. You know, so you're looking at a very. Uh, if you think about it, it's very negative, you know? Yeah, and it's that, like super competitive. Super competitive, but it's fighting. You have to be freaking emotionally strong. You have to be physically strong to hang on because everybody's dragging. Everybody's pulling your leg from the bottom because everybody wants to be on the top, Yeah, which is normal, you know? Yeah. I think that helped me a lot. It helped me a lot to, to kind of um, form the character I am today because I knew... Don't once you get there is the easy part is staying there is the hardest. I always tell kids everything about that. When I used to talk at my the schools in the Wine Coast, and I tell them, bro, they all know my big house. They go, Uncle, you get big house, bro. The house was easy to get. Holding on to the house was hard. They go, what do you mean, Uncle? Well, you can own the house, but when you know when you live in, in with, with rules and regulation, you gotta pay tax all the time. You gotta pay a water bill. You gotta pay the guy to clean my pool. You gotta pay the guy to clean my yard. You gotta pay electric, all that stuff. It adds, you know, it's not easy. Even though you own something, you still got to pay for keep it. And I thought that's the hardest thing for anything. And I learned that from Subo because to be up there, you had to fight your ass off to last. And if you wanted to get paid, you had to survive that, that top six. And you had to find a way to, to stay there as long as you can. You know, I'm glad my career lasted for 16 years. And the majority of my 16 years, I was in the top rank. So... God bless, you know, I was, you know. Yeah, that's a long um, career, it sounds like. One of our viewers um has a question and was wondering what your diet was like during your sumo career. Actually, sumo, that's a good thing about being sumo. You can eat, eat anything and everything. The only thing is we don't eat breakfast. We only eat two meals a day. Mm. The reason for that, our practice session, when I joined sumo, our practice sessions, we started at five every morning. Oh. 
and like come summertime because the light comes out. We have a drunk coach that goes out and drink. He comes home like three o'clock, three thirty. He wakes everybody up to train. <laughs> and we like in those days, we freaking train for like. If, if if the boss is not feeling good, we can be training in freaking hot weather in July and, and, and August for like seven hours, bro. No, no, you don't eat until that is all done. And you get used to that because with the training, you freaking probably, you, you fucking, the training is so hard in the morning, like you can puke everything out. They can tell who ain't drinking everything, like khaki. Yeah, you're doing the conditioning at the end, bro. You get <laughs> you can't tell the guy when drink, bro. Classic. So obviously you're not a ethnic Japanese person. Like, what was the biggest culture shock for you when you got there? One of the things that I had to do with every day when I got there was the toilets, bro. You got a squat. You got a squat toilet, bro. Oh, just the kind of puka in the ground. Yes, the puka in the ground. I went when it's still is puka in the ground. <laughs> I cannot believe, but that's forty something years ago, right? So, and not only that, I was puka in the ground when he joined at sumo because you're the newest to the stable. You have to go clean the puka in the ground. <laughs> that was your job, you know. My first, my first uh, six months of my career, I cleaned like four stairs, four toilets. I took out the rubbish early in the morning, like four o'clock I'll be up. I do all that before practice starts. Oh. And, and my my mom, the lady that married to our boss, she always checks in on that. And she tells me, you're the first guy that I know that cleans under the sink. I thought because nobody, they try to hide shit under the sink. And I, <laughs> well, you know, I clean home. I clean toilets at my house too in Hawaii. And my father always check. If they check and the thing dirty, I get my ass kicked. You know, so. <laughs> So like I said, uh, it's similar to the, my my culture back home. So it kind of my my upbringing kind of helped and uh, kind of prepared me for the sumo life, you know. Yeah, that's super. Like, that's that's classic. <laughs> my whole life, I go I go back and think about it. What the hell did I go through? Like shit, you know. And that's the thing I'm trying to put in my book. I'm not. I don't care uh, what I achieved during my career. It's 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 the emotions and how do I overcome things that I had to go through that I wasn't used to. Like you got to remember, I'm 18 years old now, yeah. And I and I have to make decisions on my own. And one of the things that I really uh, pushed to the end of my career, even to my, both of my parents' passes, they never knew my number. They never could call me because I never wanted them to worry about me. I would call and check on them every day, no matter where. Even after my career, I would call them. Wherever I went from Africa, wherever I went in the world, I called him to say hi. But I never want my parents to worry about me. They never knew I got hurt in the hospital. They never knew I was in the hospital. They never knew until I called and let them know. Mm. So um, I really kept that part of my life. And I try to solve every problem I had. I try to find solutions to go through um, stuff, and which is something I really want to uh, put in my book because I know we all as human beings have problems that we deal with that when you don't reach out to a certain person you get lost with it mm -hmm. but only that sometimes you can actually solve your own problem if you take take the time to calm down and and, and kind of critique how your day was and stuff like that so that's something else that we're going to talk about but you know that's where i want to go with the way i write my book i don't care about my career you can go to wikipedia you can find everything about how my career was and all the other shit that people know that 
I want people to know what happens behind certain yeah. uh, big events that have been going on through my career. Super interested in your book. When do you plan yeah. on um, like when do you plan on finish or is it? It's it's probably going to drop next year. Oh, I, okay. I wanted to drop it on a special year. Like this year, celebrating sixty years old. Last year, I celebrated forty years of my career in, in Japan. And then next year, I've celebrated 20 years of, of my marriage with my wife. So I think it's a perfect time oh, to drop my book. Congratulations. Yeah, so try to match everything with, you know, a certain no. event in my yeah, life. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, When was the last time you were able to come home? I try to come home every December since my parents both passed. I came home in December. I come to Paris, my, raising my family and my brothers, my brother and my sisters, and then going, um, check the cemeteries, hang out with my parents and my, my loved ones out there every year. So planning to come home again in December, but this year is kind of special because I just did a huge uh, beach party for my 60th to celebrate with my friends here. Oh. I'm, actually, I'm actually doing one back home, I'm coming to, with my family back home in December because my birthday is on December anyway. Oh, okay. December 31st is my birthday. Mean, mean, mean. So everybody, watch out, this is going to go on sale. So you can buy my shirt. Yes, sir. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> as the like you were the first non-Japanese born sumo wrestler to reach like the second highest rank, I believe. Uh, yes, Ozeki. They call it Ozeki champion. Yeah. Yeah. So what challenges <laughs> did you face in breaking those barriers? Because like well, that's such well, a significant milestone. It is because, you know, number one, they weren't used to a foreigner that came in like my first two years, I, I almost won the Empress Cup, which is not never heard of. <laughs> and um and I beat the best of the best, you know, in my second year. You look at my career. And then the other thing I've done that I'm proud of is I, I it only took me eight tournaments to become a high ranker, which normally take about five years, which is thirty tournaments, because it's six tournaments a year. Oh. Normally five years is something that it's normal, but uh, it took me eight tournaments, less than a year and a half I was in the high rank. <laughs> and then uh, four tournaments after that I became the first to get up, to, fastest to get up to junior champion. And then uh, a few years later, I became a, a champion at five years. So it wasn't normal to people for do that, especially I was a foreigner. Yeah. And especially when I had no zero experience with sumo. Yeah. I just I just jumped in and you know, it's it's all about just um taking in as much as you can. When people teach you stuff, you have to be a great listener and you have to be like a vacuum. You have to try to take everything as much as you can, learn from it and you know, and learn more. You know, it just the process is so fast. If you don't if you learn if you don't learn how to learn to take all the advice, you, you're gonna you know be left behind, you know. Yeah. And you know, I was very grateful for um, having a, one of our own Hawaii guys who, before me, Jesse Takamiyama, who's from Maui. He was the first foreigner to make it, really make it. But he's he's actually from Maui. He's the one kind of kind of mentored me through it, and uh, and we were in the same stable. And um, I wasn't that alone, you know. I had people to I had a I had a guy to talk to his spoke English and from Hawaii and so it kind of helped kind of a gentle gentle breeze you know kind of yeah, helped me through some the hardship familiarity so, yeah and then you know we, we talk local and you know 
Yeah. He likes to tell jokes and talk dirty jokes, and, you know. How long did it take you to um start really understanding Japanese? I probably I could understand like my first year. I could understand. I, I could get around. And like again, we don't get tutors. You know, we don't get any special treatment. Well, we get a special tutor to teach anything. I just had to learn on the run, you know, yeah. and learn by day. And I used to have my little pocket book, you know, for tourists how to speak Japanese. <laughs> the red book I have. And I used to try to learn one one thing every day, like good morning, good afternoon. My name is Nani Konishki, and especially that I had to learn how to introduce myself because I met so much people that support our stable and stuff. So yeah. we went out a lot with a lot of people, like people that run companies and own companies because they're like supporters of the sumo stable. So I had to kind of learn that first, kinda, you know, and then learn how to pick up the phone and, and address the school and stuff like that. So stuff like that I learned first. Okay, that's, that's cool. So like now, would you say you're pretty fluent in Japanese? Pretty much, you get around, you know, and um, I became a Japanese citizen like uh, a little over 10 years into my career. So. I speak fluently, very fluent. Solid. So throughout your career and even now, like you're known for your charisma, your larger than life persona. Like, did being from Hawaii have anything to do with cultivating that unique personality or persona? Obviously, you know, you know, we we come from mixed culture, so to have different cultures, you know, I I grew up. Some of my best friends are Japanese. You know, the sunset, 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 yonsei. Some of the mothers, some of the fathers I called are Japanese from Hawaii, you know, my friend's parents, you know. And because we have such an Ohana culture, you know, it was easy for me to, to kind of get around. It just, you know, I, I stepped into a, a very Japanese culture, but everything is, um, is so, like, almost perfect kind of thing. Like, you know, you, you, when you're dealing with time, everything is built around respect. It's not about you, it's about them. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of thing. So, like, I learned so much, like, even on time. I'm always on time, no matter what. My friends used to, they hate me when I come home. They tell me, hey, we got to go out at 6 o'clock. I'm there, like, 5 o'clock, hour early. They go, hey, it's early, but everybody's always late. And I'm not used to do that, you know. Japanese, not only Japanese culture, but sumo culture was like that, you know. When the boss tell you you got to be 5 o'clock, you got to be 30, 40 minutes early, no matter what. Standing outside the restaurant waiting for him to come in. You know, that kind of thing, you know. And always showing respect, always making sure you you give a call, like say call tomorrow, call the day after to say thank you for going out to dinner, stuff like that. Yeah. Other little, you know, it's very business wise, I think, and it helps business too. I, the stuff I've learned from Sumo has made me uh, run my businesses the way I've done, and people will, like freak out because I deal with a lot of foreigners too, and they all freak out because I'm always on time and all that stuff. I do everything. I try to. Do every little, little every content. I try to find every little thing to make it even better every time I do something because that's like Japanese. If you go to a real Japanese restaurant, you see how you know the not only the way the presentation, everything is like just looking at it, you know like touch the food is so nice, you know what I mean? But it's all about the look and the not only look but the taste, the ingredients and stuff like that, which is not easy. Yeah, because it's a lot of work. You know, it's it's more quality than quantity. The way the thinking I see, yeah? yeah, and that's the way I think about things too. You know, I rather go and struggle to sell things that is have high in quality than 
try to sell freaking a million just to make a buck, you know? Yeah, Japan is pretty um famous for their work ethic and like that kind of stuff. Well, you have people, they're so unique, like even holes in the wall, you know, you got grandma and grandpa's like, they're up four o'clock in the morning, like prepping like lunches and stuff. And you look at yourself and you see what they charge. You're like, only charge like $10, like, man, you all that work for just $10, you know? And then, you know, when you own your own little hole in the wall, they, it's not about the money anymore to certain people. It's about how much, how much they make people happy with their food, yeah. you know? Yeah. You know, so... But I, I'm pretty sure they had to get off over the wall to get to that point because you're not going to be that dumb to freaking put yourself in a hole, you know what I mean? Yeah. But that's, and that's the way that people look at the businesses, I, the people that I deal with, and the way I look at it. It's all about how much they, make, they can impress or make people go home happy. You know, it's, and it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a very local thing too. Yeah, they're like, like proud of their work. Yeah, you know, when we, when they, you know, when the thing about Hawaii, when you talk about going to parties, all they talk about, bro, so much food. food. If you know we enough food, they're going to go, hey, brother, freaking party. They never have enough food. Yeah. And everybody knows that. So you cannot make, like, half-ass kind party. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's so true. Or even if the food, like, didn't even taste the best, too, that's another one. They're kind of like, oh. Yeah, but, but, but that's what I mean. But local people would go out of their way, and that's how they, we are, you know, normally. The majority of us would actually you like treat your friends the best of the best yeah you can you know so you know you go graduation party one year baby party but they go all out like i look at that bro and then the next day some of them looking you can put food on the table but they spend like a thousand two thousand dollars to throw a party man you know like, oh, <laughs> that's so true but, yeah, it's all good you know yeah culture it is so sumo training or it's keikoa is the term for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So it's pretty. Uh, I guess it's renowned for its like intensity and discipline. Like, what was? Can you share like some of your most, I guess, toughest experiences during training? Well, the training thing is like any athlete can handle the way I look at it. Okay. And then it's 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 the matter of you um, wanting it more like anything else, you know. Any, if you interviewed any professional player, everybody's the same. You put in the same boat, bro. If you, you do as much as the guy next to you, that's all you will get. Yeah. But if you want more, you have to do like double what he does. You have to be hungry all the time. And, and the one thing I always advise young people is know where you want to go, why you want to go. Meaning have a goal and find yeah. a way to get, you trust the process. You got to, you guys, it, it's not easy. You, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta run that track no matter what. You gotta go through the track to get to where you want to go anyway. So don't second thought yourself. You know it's gonna be bumps into it, but you have to take those bumps. You gotta fall. I love practice. I love training because that's where my stress. I could release all my stress. The only place I would relieve my stress is through practice. You know, yeah. and and that's how I think a lot of people are in in, in the professional level. You cannot come with a 99% gain, bro. If you don't come with 100%, you fucking, maybe, oh, sorry, I swear, but. Nah, no way. Bro, no, but that's true. Because when, you when you're talking about high level in any sport or any business, you come in with 99, that 1% actually puts you at the edge because your opponent coming in 100%. Yeah, facts. And, 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 and that's true with anything. If you come with, like, 
Everybody has dreams, bro. You can dream all you like, but if you don't put the work to it, it's just it's just a dream, bro. Dream, dream, dream. That's what's gonna be, you know. And you gotta learn how. To, and it, a lot of a lot of dreams too. It comes with risk too. It's how much risk you want to do. So somebody like a younger kid, I'm I'm th I turned sixty. You know, I I I kind of weighed my risk is when I was twenty and then thirty and then forty. As I got older, I knew exactly what I was good at and what I can do with that age. And what I was looking at is what can I do when I get to a certain age? You know, when in my 40s, I know I could do this. And then before I got to 50, I knew I had to focus on certain things, so just focus on that. Because up to like 40 Sunday, I was doing all kinds of shit, you know, I was like all kinds of like work and, you know, I was just taking whatever is there because I enjoyed working. I just, you know, I'd be flying all over the world and, you know, when I turned 50, I slowly slowed down to myself, brother, what, what are you really good at that you will be happy for doing? And then I just chop everything that I used to do that I just cut down and try to focus on things that I know I can be good at and have fun with it. Yeah. So I'm actually, it took me this long, but I guess from mid fifties, I think I'm enjoying my life more because I'm enjoying the stuff I do. I'm not overdoing it and I have to, with everything else, you have to um, kind of listen to your body. You know, my body went through a lot during my career. You know, and then as I got older, I could tell the pain that comes with it. And so, so I have to kind of listen to my body and at the same time, kind of pave, uh, kind of, uh, how, do you, how do you say, you kind of look at your future and how you, things that you can do yeah. normally without struggling, you know? Yeah. I, I did, the struggle times are over. You know? I just, just enjoy stuff that I can do. Which is a lot of fun, you know. A lot of things I focus now is a lot of sumo. Yeah. I've been doing a lot of sumo abroad and stuff, you know. A lot of big, big projects coming along and stuff that I know I'm good at. So, you yeah. Know? So, um, I guess like throughout your sumo career, did you develop like any like style that was like specific to you and like that you knew that you could use to best your opponents? <laughs> Everybody used to call me the meat bomb, bro. My hands were like everything. I would punch people's faces. This is my technique, bro. Like this picture. I get the guy in the head. Actually, this is a real this is a real photo that got painted. It's just a full day art. But the guy I'm getting right now is one of the best guys I ever in sumo. I, I think was he's a grand champion, Chono Fuji. But my technique was all hands. They call it the body spotty technique. It's just um Trusting. Oh, okay. And, and the reason for that, because I was strong, I was big. And if I went to the belt, all these guys would throw me like freaking nothing. Like split second, like they got into me and and it, and, it, and they did prove that a lot, especially this guy pulling. This guy was so good. He would get in like his left hand, get in. Once his left hand get in to the front, it's over, man. He just, when I just tried to take a breath, boom, I know I'm a freaking on a corona already. That's how good people was. And people don't see that because, like I said earlier, they think the, the bigger guy is always uh, going to win. But yeah. it's not, that's not the case. That's not the case. Small guy is so fast with technique, man. It's so tricky. They can trip. They can kick. They can pull. You name it, man. That's so mm. funny. Who do you mm. think is, like, um, for anybody that's not really um, familiar with sumo, like, who would be one smaller wrestler that we could like look up to like well look up look, look up this guy named Shono Fuji there's a lot of them 
this Chiono Fuji, which was my time. And there's this kid who him and his brother made grand champion, Wakano Hana. He was small, but if you look at his muscles, look at his legs, bro. His freaking legs are here like every single. And he get more muscles in the body Yuda, bro. But he has he was so good on the rope, you know. Oh. Every time you his toes were kipping in the ring. <laughs> a lot of small guys, a lot of small guys. Even a guy from Mongolia, one of my boys from my stable, he was uh, came, his kid named uh, Asashio Ryu. Small, but this one was really freaking cocky, cocky style. He came like a cockfighter, but he come in hard. He wasn't that big, but he'd come hard. <laughs> he was really good with his technique, he was quick and he was fast. Fast to get in and he would throw you like backwards or frontwards if you're not ready. He's, so really watching, there's a lot of sumo now that you get to catch in, on your YouTube now. And once you get hooked, you can get hooked because the action is unreal, man. Yeah. Mm. So, but there's a lot of guys, bro. That's, yeah, I'm probably going to look up Chiono Fuji after this. <laughs> yeah, you're going you're gonna to enjoy it. That guy was one of the best, bro. Um, how does it feel to be immortalized in a song by the legendary Brada Is? Me and he was close, bro. We come from the same side. I used to go, when I used to come home, I remember one of the, um, the what's it called? The birthday bashes. Me and he's went. He called me up. He called me up. He called me up and he told me, bro, let go birthday bash. And I said, yeah, let's go. Where you stay? Right over here, man. We'll come pick you up. He keep picking me up. Two big boys. <laughs> I was big, too. And, and you know, he's big, too, right? So they, two big brothers, bro. They make us drive a van all the way in, you know, get the side gate at the Waikiki Shell on the side of the, uh, the stage because they don't like him walk, right? So we drive in, and then me and him step out of a step out of the car. I still remember because that's the day I gave him my watch. He get fat wrist at the bro. I, my watch right there fit you, so I gave him my watch and stuff. So brother is a I really enjoyed I really enjoyed it. And you know when uh, before everybody started this computer stuff, I was one of the first to ever like start homepage many, many years ago because wow, funny <laughs> Hi, doggy. I get, I get goldie retrievers. Hey, I have two goldies too, Dookie and yeah, Lilo. I got, I get Pani and Fala. There's two Samoan names. <laughs> Pani is bread and Fala is pineapple. Yeah, I love Pani Popo. Yeah, I, I, I actually had Pani and Popo too. <laughs> so Pani's, Pani's, Pani's father is uh, Ulu. Ulu. So this is my fifth generation. <laughs> fifth generation. Fala, Pani! Pani! Pani, oi there! Hi, Pani! Hey, Pani, 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 that's how my dogs are all the time too. People could be walking outside on the road on the game. My dogs yeah. would just be like, bah, 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 bah. God, the ears are so good, man. Yeah. Like I can come here by car, cause I'm at my mom's, my mom-in-law's place. I can come here by car and I'm outside by the taxi. 
And you can hear him barking already. Um, one of one of our viewers was asking if there was ever a point that you had to take it easy on your opponent out of respect, or was it always just fair game just to win? No, there's a few matches that I had to do because I knew, you know, I know guys give me their own careers. We have to fight hurt. And there's, there's like a few matches that I know my opponent was like hurt, like hurt. Yeah, I, I wrestled hurt myself too, you know, but you, it's hard because, you know, fuck, if I go all out, I can broke this guy's knee like right away. Thing. And I actually, I remember I did that a couple times, you know, and then, as my career went on, when I when I knew we all know because we train against each other doing tours and stuff like that. Mm. Okay. And then you know sometimes you just like your 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 body wants to go, but your mind is telling you, bro, you might hurt this guy so bad, and then he's not going to lose. He's going to lose his tournament, and uh, you know stuff like that. Like your mind becomes a mind game, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's you start thinking about like all the repercussions, uh, like. Yeah, man, because I went through it too, right? You know, yeah. and then when you're fighting hurt. You know, the, all, the, all the other guys, when you fight hurt, they all know your weak points already. They're going to come attack you a certain way. <laughs> and, and which is, it's just a way, that's how the game is, bro. You give me an advantage, I'm going to take advantage of it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, like, having such a legendary career, what was some of the highest highs and the lowest lows? My highest high is when I first made it as a high ranker. I knew I could now financially send money to mom every month yeah you know, you know and um that was the highest that but everything else just came along when my lowest is when um i, I feel like the whole country was on me um there was part of my career where um i think i had enough numbers or the way it went to become a grand champion and it happened that they were like um saying things that uh I said this, I said that, and it was racist, and it was a big news. If you go and if you go and go look for it, Google it. They have a big story in uh, New York Times about that oh. and stuff. So when when they had stories like that in, in Japan, in in newspapers and magazine, it wasn't a big deal until it came out in New York Times. They didn't make Konishiki Okuzuna because in that thing hurt me so bad because what people didn't know what I had to go behind doors. They were like freaking attacking me like, you know, I never been attacked before and I was so hurt because I didn't had nothing to do with that, you know? Yeah. And I'm here like busting my ass for the sumo association that I work for, you know, blood, sweat and tears every fucking day. And then I have nobody to help me, even my even then, my boss at the time, my my first boss passed away after like five, six years of my career. I had a new boss, and there wasn't nobody who was like helping me. Like, like I felt like so lost, and like they just like took they just took my heart away, man. And that was like ten, a little over ten years of my career already. You know, I just got married. My first marriage, just got first marriage. I went through some shit, bro, right? and I was that was my low. And I talked about that. I talked about that a lot in my book. 
how was like some of the ways you overcame that adversity because brad that sounds it took it took time for me you know i i actually went to the low low man like you know i was walking i just got married i was walking um, i told I, I mean like, i just got married like i went to hawaii came back and when i got back all that shit was going on i just told my wife then we'd finish already i went through some shit bro i was just calling friends like can i go to hawaii because i'm gonna be shy to walk around and then people know i like going places in the world where nobody knows who i am and mm. you know i went i went through a lot of stuff you know and a lot of way i got through is just trying to speak with my mom a lot you know i never spoke to them a lot i only spoke to them like once every month but i spoke to her and i told her how i felt and you know it was like for her you know yeah and they kind of found my my and it, and it took about a year to process bro and you know it's funny the the, the human's body your mind is so strong no matter what kind of pain you go through when you're focused on a goal you don't feel pain but once that is once that thing is taken away it disappears in you because it's all about your emotion and how strong your mind is once that takes away once the distraction breaks that the pain comes in hard and you know and i was hurt already i had i had a huge injury before i even became a champion you know i came back from a huge injury to become a champion in fact i bust my uh, i think it was my right knee i think you know and i came back we have in hawaii i came back and that's how i became an, an ozaki you know and so i did overcome a lot of physical but emotionally the testing was still coming through you know after 10 years of sumai Emotionally, that's the first time I was really challenged to a point where I was I was giving up. My my mind was before that I only dream I could see myself walking out as a grand champion. Every every night I I train never feel no pain. But once that incident happened with the media and start getting on me, I don't know, it just got gone. I used to just like freaking find corners somewhere, just sit on the top of the roof and just cry and you know, nobody to talk to, you know, and, and I try not to say much. And then I just kind of lean towards, I talk a lot to mom, my yeah. mom. She kind of calmed me down. I told him, I don't, you know, I was saying shit like, you know, I don't want to leave. I cannot leave no more mom. If anything happened to me, I'm sorry if I, I, I did, I disgraced to you guys because I can't handle this pain I'm going through, you know? Yeah. All shit like that. And my mom just, well, just come home then. Just come home, just come home. I cannot do that. You know, for me, after working so hard to get to where I'm at, I feel I'm, I feel like I'm gonna fit. I'm a failure if I walk away, and if I walk away, I want to go where no one knows me. You know, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's a kind of went through, but you know, I had to fight through it. it. Took me a year to tell myself, bro, just don't. It's not about getting up there anymore. Just, just survive and and have fun with it. So in my last four or five years of my career, I just try to enjoy it every day. And, do the best I can just to survive. It wasn't about trying to get to the top anymore. I just, the fire went, the fire got off and you know, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to continue my career where it's on the bottom. I wanted to, if I'm going to keep on with my career, I'm going to have to stay in the top division. Yeah, I'm glad and you so, overcame all of that, bro. Yeah, so it's a lot of things and that's, and that's, like I said earlier, you know, we interview, that's the things I want to talk about in my book because everybody goes through struggles, Yeah. you know, 
people what people see and what you go through is two different oh, things yeah how do you how do you find solutions honey I, I I'm probably gonna buy your book actually when you when you release it. <laughs> yeah, once I get it, I'm, I'm actually trying to do a couple of book signing all over the state. And oh yes. I sir. want people to read. I the book is to help to help. I know you know come from different cultures. That's why and everybody, because nobody goes in anything and doesn't struggle with yourself. And the bottom line is all about you. At the end of the day. You have to find the trust in yourself to pull yourself out of shit, you know. And some people just cannot. And and when you cannot, that's why it's so important to put yourself in the right environment, meaning surround yourself with the right people. Yeah, yeah. So that is so important. Are you um trilingual? Yeah, pretty much. I speak Japanese, English, and some more. Yes, uh, that's super cool. Mm -hmm. So what are like some of the I guess phonetic similarities between Japanese and because Samoan and Hawaiian is like similar too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Polynesian culture is very similar to, to sumo culture, you know. Even the Japanese culture, we we actually do a lot of respect. When you, somebody give you something, you see always find a way to give something back. When you go to somebody's house, you always make sure you take something, you know? Yeah. And all those things it's it's it's, it's very Japanese. There's a word called okaishi. When you bring something to somebody's house, you always have to find a way to give back. So if I went to visit a friend yesterday and I gave him something, obviously the family that I went to visit, they're probably going to send me something, you know, oh, and vice versa. Hey, but we do that in Hawaii. Yeah. When you go to somebody else, this party always brings something, you know, which is all good, you know. Yeah, one of the first things you learn when you're growing up is don't ever pull up to somebody's house empty-handed. <laughs> Well, that's the and that's the shit they talk about with all the brothers. They all come with shit. They don't bring their own beer, right? <laughs> when you, when you, like, it happens a lot. Every all my cousins and friends and relatives, they all drink a poker beer. But if you don't bring your cooler, but you're not drinking, bro. Bring your own beer. <laughs> yeah, that's why Hawaii is famous for BYB, bro. <laughs> you know. So I guess um would would you say that the similarities between Japanese culture and Polynesian culture would be your favorite thing, or is there anything that's uniquely Japanese about the culture that you really admire? Well, everything about I I, I like both culture because I was raised in a Polynesian culture, especially some more culture in my own. But again, Japan has so much to to teach. Yeah. This humbleness I don't know where it comes from, but like for sumo is a great example. Like, we're not, you know, we're like, sumo itself is like the ultimate uh, sport in Japan for culture rise. Yeah. But if you look at it, it's so different from American sports where the top athletes are like so branded to a point where you have to be a certain, you got to look, you got to wear 10,000 gold chains and yeah. ride on Rolls Royce. And it's in, in that way, that's not what sumo represents. Super represent is the culture that you take off the ring is so important for us. The way you carry yourself in public, the way you respect, the way you talk, you know, and the way you dress out in public is so important for us. So I think uh, that's the thing I love about sumo and its uniqueness. And then when it comes to Japan, I, I can tell you, when you come to Japan, you'll be very surprised. Any hope, the way they service people, you know, you, you go to any 
restaurant Jerry, like even been holding the walls, man. If it's they invite you with smiles and stuff. Yeah. You know, one of my one of my guys called me, bro, Japan, so much aloha. <laughs> All I say is, brother, when you come to Japan, it's aloha on steroids, bro. You know, a lot of people treat you so nice. And they, why do you think a lot of my entertainers come here? They all get treated nice. Not only treated nice, but they all get paid too. So, you know. And they, and they kind of take the culture very seriously. Mm. <laughs> Look at my dogs. They react into the sun. <laughs> so you currently um still reside in japan i'm guess or like do you ever yep. plan on um moving back home or no nah, i plan to live here my whole life i told my wife when i die just make sure half of my Ashes is thrown in the Wainai coast and the Kulia from there, that's why. Yeah. What is, um, what is like the top thing you miss about Hawaii? It's just the sunshine, but just being home with friends, talking story, how people pick each other, pick on each other, the shit we talk about. You know, I, I just, I just miss the, the companionship of all my friends. I just like seeing my friends and my family, you know. And just come home and just feel relieved. It's a different culture at all, period. You know, everybody's like, <laughs> the first thing your friends tell you, you freaking guy, you fuck up. Bam, I felt an earthquake, bro. I tell them, what you mean earthquake? Bam, I can't tell that you and step off the freaking plane, you freaking heavy ass. <laughs> you know, you, 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 take you, they take you right back when you was 18 or high school, bro. <laughs> and I love that, you know, and, you know, which I don't get at all here, so. I guess, you know, and then, you know, visiting the family, everybody's getting older, you know, get to see my nieces and nephew who are like fathers and mothers now and like see how people grow and then try to, you know, understand, bro, your nephew's not a little kid anymore. You yeah. know, so young. to like, you know, these little kids that I, you know, they're older now, their fathers, their mothers now, and like, you know, just trying to calculate that in my head was, took time, but now we're kind of used to, to it, you know. But I enjoy coming home. The local food, yeah, I love my poke. My my poke and eating with boy, you know, try to stay away from all the, all the food, but try to stay with the, the good stuff, yeah? Hey, next time you do come down, you need to come check out my farm in Kahalu. I'll definitely get hey, some poise, some kalos. Bro, I, would, I would love to come. I love to. Every time I come home, I try not to even eat anything, but like my uluchi, I have a beautiful uluchi in my yard. And then yeah, I try to eat like all the Polynesian stuff, and I love taro. Even even like I try to make lao laos, or uh, you know I need that. Yeah, maybe I I go check you out, get some leaves so I can make some. Yeah, yeah. Make some palasami. Oh yeah, mean. Um, so you were in Tokyo. You had a little cameo in Tokyo Drift. Like, how was that oh, yeah, experience? Tokyo Drift. It's been a while, over ten years at a movie. It was funny. They called me up and they said, "This is part of the, what would you want me to do? Just to support." I told, "You're not treating me like a yakuza, right?" I told, "I don't want to be a yakuza." And I said, "And they said, no, you're just gonna be this one guy that you'd be holding somebody's money, and they have to come get the money from you and stuff all that. Real simple kind of stuff." <laughs> then I, I did it, you know. And it's funny because just a little point, a lot of people have seen it. 
Like I always remember, I was down in New Orleans and in the hotel, and this little kid walks up to me and says, "Hey, do you have the tattoo on your back?" And then I like, I was like, wasn't clicking because the movie was taken like many years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, "What is this kid talking about?" You know? Oh, oh no, 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 no! It's it's just <laughs> it had it on for a week after the shot and stuff. <laughs> you know, but I'm, I'm I've been very uh, lucky, uh, you know, not only being in the movies, but I've hosted so much, you know, athletes, yeah. cele cele celebrities here. And um, in the business world, I've met some of the biggest CEOs in the world. And and that's what my job is right now. I do a lot of VIP stuff. Um, I actually uh, coordinate their, their visits and something like that. I oh. only take VIPs. Perfect. So when I get famous, then you get, when I do my Japan you're tour. No, no. You're you don't have to be famous. <laughs> I take care of my people, bro. So what are um some of your biggest interests outside of sumo? Well, right now I'm interested. Um, I have, um, I'm, one of my things that I always wanted to do is travel all Japan. Okay. I mean, the whole country. And the other thing I wanted to do in the, in the U.S. too, like rent to those. Uh, oh, like cross-country tour, yeah. <laughs> like freaking take two, three months, just take it. Grab a bunch of my friends, even take you, do your podcast on them. You know, anybody wants to come and then you only can like, for for example, if you come from LA and you say, oh, bro, I only can write five days and then from Seattle, we'll go home. And then somebody else like, I'm bond. You know, I just like tour the whole, just, you know, just see the country. Yeah. Same thing with Japan. But the only thing about Japan, I wanted to, um, I wanted to, so I'm actually trying to custom made a, a, a trailer kitchen. I was in Washington, DC in June. So I went, to, so I want to travel and, and cook. Oh. I like the barbecue. I have my own barbecue sauce in Japan. Me, me. Marinade sauce. So I've been doing a lot of events with barbecuing and stuff like that. Of course, I do the music and stuff like that. But um, there's some big things that uh, I do a lot of coordinating. Sumo is so big. People are so interested about sumo. Yeah, it's like you then, have your own brand there, like basically. Yeah, yeah this is my brand right here. Yeah. It's the sumo. There we go. What is your um, What is your sauce taste like, that barbecue sauce? My barbecue sauce is a marinated sauce where you marinate your chicken or whatever you like. I don't have a picture with it. Sauce out of Jamaica. But yeah, let me pull up a picture from. Uh, but yeah, um, your sauce. I do a lot of. Uh, I promote a lot of events. If you go to my YouTube channel, uh, like YouTube, people just doing YouTube now, but I've been doing YouTube almost 12 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the reason why I do mine is that. I do it because that's how people find me and they um, actually request certain jobs for okay. me to do. So, um, like you said, I have, I have sumo tours on it, coordinating some of the Airbnb people, um, IBM, and a lot of big co corporate stuff I, I try to put together. And then I have my entertainment stuff that I entertain, you know, from three-piece band, five-piece band to a ten-piece band. If you look at Konishiki's world, that's where all, and it's all well filmed so konishki's world yeah. is the youtube my my youtube channel is called konishki's world yeah. and i don't do it for like you know how people try to get hits for it i i don't usually i do it i do it for um just to get people to find me because they know what i do and that's how people get to find me and i get jobs from it and stuff so yeah i just um i just plugged it into the to the chat yeah, you can check it out you can uh, there's a beautiful videos of my 40th anniversary and i produced the whole show from oh. from the food 
I decorated my, my own tables, my centerpieces. I originally made it. The sound system, I, I do all the sound stuff. I do all the lighting and, and everything. I decorated all my tables and everything. That's sick. If you, if like you look at my... Producing, like, basically, love, like, Hollywood and I Japan. Love to, <laughs> to be honest with you, I want to be behind the scene than anything else. Mm. I like to produce stuff behind the scenes. You know, I was wondering if you didn't know that you know what that concert uh, years ago called the Throw the Shotgun. I'm I feel like I'm too young still for that. Well, yeah, but that's when um Lana Silvia and all those guys are already there. So oh, if you look okay. at it, pop out. You probably just didn't go and didn't know, but those Throw the Shotgun concerts, there was two back to back, and I was behind all those concerts and stuff. Oh, me, you know? me, me. I was some of the biggest concerts because it's if you look at it, fireworks and. Yeah. You know, my boys, Fiji was on it. The main car, like everything was sold out to concerts and stuff. So That's it. Yeah. It, but it, I love, it feel cool, I love like... to produce things. I got uh, my own clothing stuff right now. I'm working on it. And, you know, the bunch of whole things that I like to do. <laughs> yeah. Creating stuff is cool, especially when you're behind the scenes because, like, watching everything come together and, like, seeing the finished product is always, like, super, I guess, fulfilling. Yeah, it is. It, it, honestly, yeah, it's like what you're doing right now because if, if you don't find the right content, it's hard to, you know, drag people into watching what you're doing. Yeah. So, for me, I try to focus on what my market is just being people that big and love sumo. So, <laughs> you know, like... Like I do things like design stuff, my own clothes, like. Oh, sick. Yeah, that's me. The jacket, the jacket you notice, that's me. Yeah. Is that like, like one of your events too? Yeah. Um, then I have this jacket, it's like a surfer, a sumo surfer. Oh, that's sick. Where can people buy this? Well, I'm still working on it. They get on this. They get on the simple stuff right now. Oh, okay. But um, trying to work on my e-commerce and stuff like that. Wow. Well, you know, stuff like that. I like to um, let me know when you get that up and running, so I can plug that in everywhere. I'm testing everything right now because I just want to make sure I'm ready when I when I drop everything. And you know, the art I use, like the art you see here, very famous man in Japan. He did all the stuff for the Olympics here in Japan. Oh, okay. Well, this is the barbecue sauce. Oh, mean, mean. It's in a Ziploc, so all you have to do is show your meat in there, show yeah. the sauce, and then you just mix it and leave it overnight. Oh, I got to sample me some of that. Marinade and stuff like that. Carla, shut up. Are you, um, one of the viewers is asking if you were, are if you're into, um, Japanese whiskey? Hey. I know a lot of whiskey. I don't drink, but I know a lot about them because I always. Oh, that's a sick jacket. Yeah, that's a that's a hoodie. Yeah. A surfer, sumo surfer. <laughs> mean. I got dad. I got a basketball player. <laughs> oh. sumo. Who do you consider to be like one of your best rivals in your sumo career? Oh, that's hard. There's a lot of guys who. We're good. I think um, this guy named Kirishima he used to be a, a champion. Yeah, these battles was a lot because we're the only ones left towards um, the end of the career. 
Oh, that's a sick one. <laughs> this one is this this uh actually painting for that part is actually a real photo from uh something that I did in Germany with the kids. That art style is like super it looks like calligraphy, yeah. Well it's actually Fude. You know the Fude? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well that that is all Fude. Super and the reason nice. why and the reason why I chased down this 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 sensei who doesn't do this stuff like this, I chased him down for three years, bro. And he he, he hanged up on me. I told him, well, I'm a big fan. And if I want to stop my brand, I want to use your art. I would buy your art. So I have to buy art from him every time. <laughs> so I like, we're up now. I have like tall pieces right now. Okay. Of art that, that's not come I, I want to work on my art and work on, on, on what I want. I want to make out of that stuff. All I know, I've been just doing hoodies, mm. the hat, which is, the hat and then uh, t-shirts and stuff, and which is doing really well. I sell out everything all the time, but I just want to get more into it later on. When I settle down, this is one big project that I've been working on. I'm trying to build a building here in Tokyo that I've been working on blueprints on it. So when that goes up, then I'm ready to go with my, Your go with my yeah. yeah, there we go. Because so I get to use, have a shop in my in my building and everything. So. Oh. So you're basically an international celebrity. Like, how do you deal with the fame? Like, when people like recognize you in public, or like, what is like the best and the worst things that come with that? Well, you know, I I, I don't hide myself from public, and I, I kind of uh, pace myself or watch where I go mm. at certain times, and understand certain times of the year or certain days of the week. Like, I, I'm very careful when Friday nights, Saturday nights, because when you go on the street, a lot of people drink. Mm. So you got to expect, you know, here in Japan, you know, you just, when you drink, comes with stupid, right? So um, I try to avoid stuff like that. And I do have, I have a, I have a driver, so I try not to walk the streets at certain times because I don't want to get, you know, distracted or, you know, and, and I do with a lot, a few, not too much, but a lot of cuckoo heads, you know, and then... Mm. I just don't want to go there, but I try to protect myself by not getting, staying away from it. So, like, yeah. I catch the bullet train a lot. I time everything from my car to the train. I know exactly how long it takes me to get to the train. I know exactly what time the train is. So, once I get to the train, I'm standing there five minutes. Boom, I'm in the train. And when I go to catch a plane, because you got to get here earlier, I make sure I go and always hide in a corner or something. I try not to hide away, but too, I don't make it too obvious. But like places like that, there's, you just have to find ways not to, you know. I like to talk to people, but at the same time, sometimes you get some crazy guys, you know, which I've experienced. And, you know, if I'm with my wife, then I'm, as long as I'm with my wife, I'm protected. My wife would always understand how to deal with me and find a way to get in that getting that in between me and this dumb navigate guys. the situations yeah 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 she knows already <laughs> and she she reads my eyes at the same time right she <laughs> that some one guy getting pissed off i gotta get him out you know so stuff like that you know but not in hawaii I like to be in hawaii nothing happens like everybody's just brought up on a sister sister you know? yeah yeah i do with that a lot here uh any if any place else is here like I said, when you walk in the street at a certain time, Friday, Saturday, you gotta always watch out. And we all know that you know, people drink, you know. And yeah, you, you 
want to slap a person for being drunk, right? So, yeah. Yeah. So we all get you're you're um famously like you're a famous pioneer for non-Japanese wrestlers in the sport. Like, does this um achievement hold any significance to you? Well, I'm glad because first of all, we have Jesse Kualua, um Takamiyama who actually opened up the door for us. And he's a real pioneer to open up for us foreigners. Mm. And um, coming after that, I didn't. Uh, I just add to it. And um, and we've. I'm proud that we, the guys from the boys from Hawaii at Akebono, they came after me. They have Musashi Maru. They even take it. All these two guys took it to the next level. You know, they became grand champions. And we kind of opened up the door for all the foreigners. Now yeah. it's all taken over by Mongolians, but um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm happy they took the local boys started from Takamiyama and us for to actually open up the sport to internationally now. Yeah. It's bigger now and um, we have internet so the internet has actually expanded the, the popularity of the sport even more now and I'm glad that we, we we take part of what has made it so international. Yeah, you know, for sure. Um, did you ever like have to go through like any discrimination? For like being a non-Japanese wrestler at any point. Well, in your at career? the beginning, with the story we talk about when he was going to be grand champion or no grand champion kind of thing, you know, because you look at the numbers. There's guys that made grand champion doing that less. Don't have yeah. yeah. Well, there's a guy that never won a tournament became a grand champion. He's the same age as I am. Same time, I won like three tournaments like with two years. Yeah. But you know, that's all good. You know. Yeah. Um, it's out of your hands. It's out of your control. You gotta. I always tell people, don't try to fight something that you can't. You can't win. You know you can't win. It's just part of. It's just part of the game, bro. You know. And I, I'm just grateful that I had an opportunity to do the things I've done. You know, and being a sumotori has helped me and my family. Helped me where I'm at. If I wasn't a sumotori, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you in my podcast. So there's a lot of great things that came out of it. But yet all the negative things that came with it, I had to fight with it to get to where I'm at today. So, you know, for everybody that's listening to this iPodcast, not everything is a positive thing. <laughs> but sometimes you got to deal with the negative to get to the positive stuff because not everybody's a, a, a angel, man. You, know, you got to deal with the devils too, bro. Yeah. The, devil, the devil's in your path and make sure that that devil don't have enough fire because you just got to get more fire, you know? Yeah. So, um, who are like some of the, or some of your favorite local artists from Hawaii that you have like cool memories or stories with? Well, a lot of them. Is is one of them. You know, is is like guess he's passing. You know, rest in peace. A great friend of mine, uh, Darren Benitez, just passed away yeah. a couple of days. Rest in a lot peace. of great artists. A lot of great artists. Chino, Chino Mentero, who's a uh, actually didn't my i lost my nephew longer like a year ago you know so you know i i love the artists in hawaii but my greatest um artist that i wanted the, the one person that i wanted to meet that I really didn't get a chance to meet was muhammad ali he's my greatest person my you know personally he's the best on and off the ring the way he represented himself the way he stood as a man the way he just never, never budged from whatever he was. He gave up everything. And there's nobody in the world to the super athletes you have today. I don't see nobody who would give up all the billions to go to jail. Yeah. And they come back and become a champion, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's what the world needs today, strong leaders who would freaking sacrifice everything. And, you know, I always look at him because he's, he's the best. But I met so much people. I met Pele, I met Tiger Woods, I met Michael Jordan, Legends. Charles Barkley, Shaq. I actually uh, hosted Shaq when he was a when he was a rookie in NBA here in Japan. <laughs> I met so much people here, you know, Janet Jackson, MJ, Errol Smith. Bruh. You know, so much people, you know, but, but at the end of the day, the one person that I, and one, one artist that I wanted to meet that I get a, didn't get a chance was James Brown. Mm. I met Stevie Wonder and, and, and stuff like the Cool in the Gang and all those guys, but Holy. I wanted to meet James Brown, but I was never in town when he was in town. Damn, I was like, I, but you know, somebody that really wanted to meet was Muhammad Ali. You know, it's my favorite athlete, my favorite celebrity of the world. Rest in peace to all those legends that are no longer with us. And and now you today you got to meet a, a future legend, Ikaito Aloha. Yeah. Is that is that get, um? This is Fala. Oh, Fala. Oh. Not Pani. No, Pani is over there sleeping. <laughs> Pani is the is the father. This guy's only one years old. Oh, okay. one years old. Still puppy, he's a naughty man. boy. Yeah, he's the puppy. He's the naughty boy. What is he's um the... what is like the best Japanese food to eat in Japan versus Hawaii? Hey bruh. When you come here, everything is real. Meaning you eat real sushi, you eat real sukiyaki, and you you're gonna eat some real tempura. None of that fake shit, you guys. Not, I don't call it fake, but it's so different, bro. The ingredients. <laughs> you call me, I take you to one. I, 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 I give you a, I take you on a freaking meal and a half, dinner or lunch, whatever you like. Even, even a tonkatsu melts in your mouth, not in your hand, bro. That sounds good. What is your favorite? I'm a sushi. I'm a sushi. I'm a yakitori guy now. Mm. I don't eat too much meat no more. I don't eat too much beef. Anymore, I eat a lot of fish, you know. I love sushi. I love sashimi more. I used to like freaking kill sushi all the time. With, but now it's I guess the age makes you eat more of the raw fish. Uh. I eat a lot of raw fish, and then I really want to eat meat. Is I go to my one of my favorite holding the walls yakitori places. Hey, move. <laughs> what has been like? Um... A personal mantra or like a olelo no eao that has guided you through the ups and downs of your journey. I think my my I, I can hear my, my my dad's voice every time I I struggle. I, I I have a photo of him next to my bed where before I go to sleep I always look at him and then I kind of remind myself of the lessons he've taught me. Mm. I just posted something where this is uh, Samoa Samoa. They have a they have a Facebook page and then. He's showing this kid getting getting slapped by the father, like like, like getting really sussed with the belt. <laughs> and then they're asking everybody to any does this remind you of anything? I thought, I feel like that was me. <clears throat> and you know, <clears throat> and I said something like, you know, I'm, and I'm very grateful. A lot of times I, I got beat up and cried, all that the lessons I've learned through those tears that made me the man I am today. Yeah. But you know, if you do that today, you get, you know, you fucking get locked up and shit, you know? Bruh, I tripped <laughs> today. You can't even raise your own kids without the freaking government trying to get involved. Yeah, and that's the problem. Everybody have to fight back. The people have to take back 
their rights, you know. Yeah. Just because one person screws up a kid's life, we cannot save everybody like everything else. You know, they all talk about shit. You gotta save the kid from a certain person. Bro, who are you to judge them? Yeah. Who are you to judge everybody else? You know, everything is about minority, minority. What about us, the majority? Majority of us should try to be fucking great citizens and try to do everything right. Exactly. It's always about it's always about people doing things fucking wrong, you know, like wake up, man. Yeah. You know, and Hawaii doesn't have to be part of that shit. Hawaii is all about Ohana. Bring it back, you know. But when you try to take away people's rights to, to raise their kids, that's wrong. Yeah. That's all God given right, you know. Literally, that's yeah. your kids. And then your 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 mom had to go fight ten months to give birth to you. That's a lot of pain to go through, you know. Tell then to just, and then just to freaking come and then they try to take you away from it. It's so funny because everybody I was reading everybody's comments. Everybody sounds the same, bro. I remember that, bro. I remember that, bro. You're like you know. Yeah. You Seriously know, though, hot love is not easy. Hot love. You know, my, my, you know, as I got older, I used to sit down and my dad used to cry. He used to tell me to have a nice conversation as I got older and got to sumo. And he would like sit and say, you know, I felt I was so hard on you guys, but it hurt me more if I didn't try to my hardest to, to keep you guys. Why were you from? Why and I say, yeah. you know, a lot of drugs, a lot of trouble. A lot of, and, you know, I'm glad the way they raised us. We, you know, even though we have friends and family that got involved in stuff like that, we as our siblings never got in trouble with stuff because of the way they kept their eyes on us. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and nobody really got in deep trouble because of that. And that's a lot of work. I don't care how good they, even the shit I do is nothing compared to being a parent, raising a family. Yeah. Raising a family when your your first language is Samoan, not English. I tell people what I went through is nothing compared to what my dad and mom went through. Yeah. This is easy, but I have a place to sleep. I get to eat. I don't have to worry about nothing. You know, I just have to worry, worry about trying to get in there, make make something of myself. Other than that, my life is good. Bad. Compared to what they go through, bro. Hard so, times make strong men. Strong men create easy times. Easy yeah. times create weak men. Weak men yeah. create hard times. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's true, you know. It, 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 you're going to have to learn now or learn later. Yeah. It's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt even more. I'm so yeah. grateful because I was I I was raised by my grandparents, so my grandpa literally like all of his values got instilled into me, and I just trip on like how like my parents' generation they're raising mm. kids differently than how they raised like their older kids. It's like mm. why is everything so? They're basically giant enablers now. Bro, like my papa taught me, like you, bro. Nothing in this life comes for free. You earn it, exactly. everything you get, and if you're getting something for free, somebody else worked for it, bro. It's not free. Exactly. It's very true. And like and that's basics. That's the yeah. basics of life. Yeah. You think about it. So you much entitlement nowadays, bro. Like kids know, are like... basically born like right out of the womb with iPads already connected to like all of that freaking social media stuff and it's like literally gonna destroy a whole generation it is because you know why there's not enough conversation like what we do now yeah. we need to talk we need to see what each other's minds at good or bad it doesn't matter it's just how we where, where you at where, where you could where you at with your life how you thinking you know 
If we actually learn off each other, we don't learn anything from each other. But what we do is, oh, the guy has a mind. He has a way of living. You know, he's, his way of living might not match me, but he has a way of living. Yeah, everybody's too scared now to have dialogue because people's feelings. <laughs> you, know, you know, you know, you know that thing is actually, is actually um, backfiring to a lot of people. You see how the woke thing is not working no more. It's yeah. slowly getting. And you know, and, and the real media cannot hide what's the truth. Yeah, it's crazy, bro. The media is like the worst yeah. ones, cause like. I, I just think it's funny how every single time something new comes up that like Hunter Biden did illegally, they indict Trump. It's like, bruh, like, how obvious are you guys trying to make it already? I know, like, they make it sound like the American people. You know how they talk. The American people think this or that. You guys have no idea what the American people think. They're normal people. Yeah. You know, they're so out of touch with like their people. And yeah, like this whole Ukraine stuff over there sending billions, like it. Europe should have exactly. European problems. You know, you know, it's, it, it, I hate to say it, but you know, not like get politics, but you know, it's true. America first, but Hawaii first. The same thing. We should be putting Hawaii first in everything we do. It's like, look, Lahaina, Lahaina literally just burned down. Like, enough Ukraine aid. <laughs> Let's focus on home first. Yeah, but you know, you know how much billions they gave Ukraine, and it's imagine if they can turn that around. We we American people, man. We we part of the U.S. I hope that some of those billions can come to us. Yeah. We're not in a war zone. It's crazy. We're not in a war zone. Ah, oh, yeah. But it's funny. It's funny because we people like you and I, you know, there's a lot of guys like us. We all know that. But shit, we feel like our hands tight, but we can't do nothing. All we have to do is. Sit there and grumble about it. We can't even, you know, mm. how the hell is this gonna cure this shit? It's you know? crazy, it's... like seeing how brainwashed half of society is. Like the people that actually believe all the fake news and stuff. It's like, oh, going through my comments sometimes and reading stuff people say. I'm just like, how do these people like exist? How did they get through life to adulthood <laughs> with that brain? Well, if you're not pulling, if you're not pulling terror out of the ground like you, they wouldn't know what comes out of the ground, right? <laughs> Facts. But... Like anything else, brother? If you don't, if you don't, if you don't wash the rice before you cook it, you're not eating that rice, brother. <laughs> a lot of these people don't fucking do a lot of stuff like that, you know. And, and that's why I think the majority of white sees it, you know. Yeah. Slowly, everybody's waking up. Slowly but surely, bro. You know, God is good and, you know, and it's, people is not dumb. Power Yo, to the good? people. At the end of the day, all people, we're not, we, we're very intelligent people. It's just that the platforms that we use to get out there, limited. Yeah, amen you know? to that. Freaking, it's kind of cool how um Elon Musk bought Twitter because, like, they were censoring all of that stuff during the campaign yeah, yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And, like, it's just crazy that, yeah. like, it's literally proven the FBI is working yep. to arrest a political candidate. It's like, how more blatant can they make it? It's funny, like even people who wasn't Trump fans. Oh, they don't care so, anymore. I, I I wasn't at first, but seeing yeah, everything yeah. they're doing to him makes me well, realize like, oh, yeah. he's actually like, if Washington doesn't it's, like him, that means he's probably doing something you know, to people. You know how, like you know how, uh, right? Any, anytime somebody has a negative thing, it is because they're, they're doing something good. It's always like that. 
Yeah. And I kind of went through that in my, in my career, too. It's super crazy, though. Fucking. Yeah, I was kind of um, brainwashed by the media at first when Trump was, like, elected. And what really changed it for me was I watched a debate firsthand just to check it out. And, like, I don't know, Trump said something that I agreed with. But then when they played it on the news later that night, they chopped it up to make it seem like he said something totally, like, ridiculously racist and bad and i like from right there i seen it yeah. i was like holy shit like this fucker is not what they're making him out to be like he's literally the only guy that's not a politician that doesn't need to take bribes that has his own money like yep. why would he not want america to be great again <laughs> yeah but look at look at look at what he's been saying all this time about the border yeah, it's so important to, to protect your home, which is the border. Bro, that border is look, a mess right now. It's... Yeah, but look at look at what he was saying, and every time people say he was racist, racist, racist. No, fentanyl is and coming look, right now, over there. Look at New York; they get people slipping on sidewalks, bro. Yeah. I don't know how they're gonna cure that because millions already got in. Yeah, I don't know how it's gonna happen. Yeah, it's just crazy because like I feel like other countries are waiting to see what happens this election year in America yeah. before they really like. Cause brah, the teams for World War Three are already set: NATO versus BRICS, and like, yeah, BRICS is literally the top oil producing countries in the world, and like, it's just scary that that even is an alliance, you know. And they all got rid of the dollar, and they're all like, "Kit, yeah, what next?" That's why, I like. Or nothing. I don't. I'm kind of nervous. Like I don't even want to have kids anytime soon, just because like I feel like some shit's gonna go down. Man, you gotta you gotta really be pay attention, man. What's going on, man? I I and the only reason why I watch the news, I try to pay attention. You never know, bro. Cause we are, we to be honest, no matter how powerful we are as individuals, there's nothing we can do when the government tracks cuts down in everything. Yeah. They have the power to change everything, which is freaking. That's how come people have to get back the power to the people. Gotta get the, you gotta get the back. People owns it. Yep, bro. That's why everybody should learn how to grow their own food. Like I trip that like, people don't think that's Hawaii important. Is, Hawaii has to bring that shit back. It's, you know, bro. Imagine if one boat didn't come. Like yeah, I know. Everyone would be fucking panicking. All the toilet paper would be gone. <laughs> oh well, you well you you be good because you get to sell your tarot. Yeah, I mean my ohana is gonna be good, but frick, I don't know why everybody else is. Yeah, when you when you do the no more toilet paper, go in the ocean, wash your ass, <laughs> <laughs> or grab a walk, or grab a tea leaf, or grab yeah, a grab a banana leaf and wipe your ass. I used to do that when we used to go pick guava for way when I was a kid. We used to go up. Um, uh, I forgot where, but we used to go pick guavas in the mountain. We used to wear it for, for like twenty five cents a pound and shit. And, and you know, it's just shit up in the fucking. You don't find find anything. You just got guava leaves and what? Yeah, absolutely, bro. Grab rocks, whatever. You gotta survive, bro. <laughs> I was you listening. Can't make, you can't survive, bro. <laughs> I was listening to an interview my great grandma was doing um a while back, and I guess in her day a. A bag of a hundred pounds of taro would sell for a dollar, and I'm just like, shit. Why? Like, where is even the profit in all of that hard work? Holy shit! I hope that dollar was like worth hundred back then or something, cause bruh. 
Growing tarot isn't easy. It's bus ass. Yeah. You know, bro, I think the reason for that, in grandma's time, the dollar was a lot of money because everyone was growing tarot at the sign. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. The only certain program would actually buy it. You know, it might be that something like that. Yeah. But I definitely have to have to check you out when I come home. I oh, gotta get for some sure. I would leave, bro. definitely. I would love to host you for a day. Freaking, there's a river that runs right through my yard. We can have big swim clothes. We can barbecue. Oh, bro. Pound kalo that day, fresh pa'iai. I just made ulu pa'iai the other day. Oh, so ono. Oh man, we gotta make what we call you someone. We um we do something with the taro, we grind them and then we we um cook it and then we we have a, a sauce that we stick to. I got I got an actual sister. They always do. That sounds good. I'm down. Yeah. So I cannot wait, man. So December, I you said. December, I probably come December, mid December. I have a tour that I gotta go. Uh, I'll be on the West Coast, uh, Seattle, San Francisco, LA. I have a sumo. Uh, sumo and sushi tour. We just did uh, 15 shows in Miami, Washington D.C., and San Francisco. Oh, big time. New York City in June. Great success. So we have another 15, uh, 15 show, 15 show tour coming in November. Solid. Make sure after um, that. Make sure when you stop in Hawaii, you bring some of your barbecue sauce so we can sample. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I bring a couple of bottles. Well, what so of the Marinate some stuff. Yeah, what what what's your favorite or what's like the best meat for marinating that short rib? Chicken, bro. Chicken. And marinate even the short ribs. I just did a bunch of short ribs. Go to my Facebook. I just posted something on Konishki World. <laughs> right. I cooked like hundred pound. I cook over hundred pounds of short ribs just past Saturday oh. for my party. Well, on like a huge grill. I had like three grills and then I make a little pig in a freaking barrel. So. Yeah. Mm. Above ground umu. Above <laughs> ground. Gotta take advantage. Yeah. So, one of the last questions I like to ask all of my guests is what does aloha mean to you? Aloha is about giving, brother. Amen to that. And uh, you cannot give right away. But the reason why I work hard is I can find ways. The better I work and take care of myself, the more I can give. You know, and meaning, you're not giving to the world, but you can give to your family, your friends. You can be there. And giving is not only things. Giving your time, spending time to talk. Sorry, like how we're sitting here talking to each other is, it's giving. You know, it's it's so important that people understand that. And in our Polynesian culture, it's more about what you can give back than taking, accepting. So to me, aloha was always about that. Bro, go aloha your auntie, go aloha your uncle. Because you're going and giving aloha. Yeah. So people have to understand, you know, what's going on right down in Lahaina and Maui. You can see the love. You, you, man, Hawaii people are so, nothing but, in Polynesia, all in that. You can see people in LA, people in Seattle, like they think things, you know. But that's that's what aloha is all about. It's, if, if, this, if this can be carried on every day in your life, not every day you can do it because you have your own struggles. So you're not every day you get aloha, which is un understandable. But we all work towards something where we all work, have goals where we try to do the best we can. And then from there, we can actually share. Yeah. And that's where aloha thing, the my aloha means to me is 
every time I get an opportunity to give something back or do, I want to. And, and that's why I work so hard. That's why some of my friends always tell me, brother, try not, try not to always, you know, they always freak out because I, I, I like to go way out of my way to do stuff. And it's not because what I just love to do things, period, you know? Yeah. And I don't like to do like half ass stuff, you know? Yeah, for real. Good, I'm going to do it right, you know? Well, I appreciate your time. And this was probably like one of the favorite interviews I ever did so far. Yeah. I'm glad we, we hooked up. I'm sorry about that. Uh, like I said, oh, no, uncle, wait. Don't even be sorry. Uncle, uncle sorry for school, trying to make bro. you do that, bro. Like, <laughs> I just, I, I, I learned. It's funny when I went through that. The first time I seen him, and when I went through it, I saw a lot of names that I knew in it. <laughs> and because I do a lot of this, a lot of Zooming, a lot of stuff. But I've been interviewed from all over the world, like, like crazy. I think I, I did a, a documentary about two years ago. Oh, man. And it was a, and it was a, Real good documentary done by some of the best people to do documents from New York and stuff. The director, it became the number one sports documentary in all all of Europe. <laughs> so the thing was, people was calling me from all over the world. Like uh, I was doing, I was doing like Zoom meetings, like media kind, yeah. Spain and a lot from Australia and um, London, you know. And then ever since you know the pandemic actually made this normal for me yeah yeah for I, i've been doing a lot of it and you know, i actually don't even say no to anything everything like when you got in touch i would do it when my time is right i always try to run around you know time different so a lot of people think i still live in hawaii i don't know but I live yeah yeah, yeah. I one, one of my one of the guys one of the guys that did me from l.a i thought oh, brother the time is so different they tell yeah this is the time he wanted me i got up four o'clock in the morning for doing his interview and I was in Okinawa and stuff. So, you know, I get up early anyway. But yeah, I tell him, like, four o'clock in the morning, I cannot talk loud. My wife's still sleeping. <laughs> That's classic. You know, but, you know, it's all good. You know, I, I, love, I, love to, I love to see where certain people are with how they see me and how, how I can, you know, relate to whatever interviews we go through and stuff, you know. Um, knowledge is always good if you can leave it behind, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and whatever you, whatever I have uh, with me, if I can share it and people can learn from it, you know, that's that's what is, that's the message. It's my way of uh, giving back in certain, you know, but it's all good, you know. I'm glad that you got in touch with me and I'm, I'm glad we got to get through it. Yeah, I'm super glad too. And we'll definitely stay in touch. And I yeah, appreciate sure. all of your mana'o and your ike and your stories. They were super... I like listening to them, and hopefully, when we link in person, there will be more of that. Keep on, keep on doing what you do, brother. Yes, uh, and I'm gonna be making clips and stuff, so I'll just tag you in whatever I post, so you can see. All good. But Great. right on, mahalo, Kanishki. Take care, brother. All of the viewers, everybody, appreciate Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. And yes, uh, aloha. Okay. Aloha.